You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 211 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and I'm not in the barn studio this week. I am at PTUK H or HQ headquarters yep. um, and I'm here on my own because Matt is on location controlling the show <laughs> from his uh, from his hotel studio in Birmingham. So Indeed, yes, yes, all fingers crossed. Everything's all just about stringing together ba- barely, but uh, yes, absolutely. Yes, so I'm in Birmingham. Sorry, that's the worst Birmingham accent you've ever heard in your <laughs> life, isn't it? But, uh, ooh, look at the chimbleys. No, okay, all right, I'm offending everyone now. I'll stop. <laughs> Just stop, stop before we offend anyone. Yeah, absolutely, indeed. And joining us, as always this week, is our awesome, awesome co-host on the show. He puts the, well, he puts the B in, B-A, it's <laughs> <laughs> Yes, hello everybody, and uh, welcome along. And uh, yeah, looking forward to a great show today. And uh, yeah, it's been, uh, been a very hectic week, and I think I'm, I'm glad it's Friday again. It's been one of those uh, short weeks where we've tried to cram five days working <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm at a trade show uh, here in, in Birmingham, which is why I'm here, and I feel your pain immensely, Nev. Uh, I, I, I'm a little bit disappointed because uh, obviously I've got tomorrow to look forward to as well because uh, uh, the BSAVA, which is the veterinary conference that, I've, that I'm attending as an exhibitor, uh, is on tomorrow as well. So we're here Thursday, Friday and Saturday. So we're going to welcome everyone into the live chat room this evening. It's uh, April the 6th. We're into April, guys and girls. And I hope no one's too bloated after the Easter chocolate uh, eating extravaganza that's been going on, (laughs) especially in this house here. I've had enough of chocolate. It's off the menu. Take that that back, Carlos. There's no such thing as having too much chocolate. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's not possible. (laughs) So welcome everyone who's joined us in the chat room. Loads of names in the chat room. Neil Landmore, Matt Caton, Matthew Bunting, Fran, we've got uh, Richard King, Lane Street, our main man, Micah, is also in the chat room as well tonight. Uh, Masha's in the chat room, Mariana is in the chat room, we've got Andrew Wilson, hopefully I'm not going to miss anyone out here, I'm scrolling up here. Uh, Tony S is also in the chat room, Paul Tricker, uh, he's in the chat room as well. Uh, Neville Bounds is in the chat room. Never heard of him. Who? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Falco is also in the chat room. Wow. And Braithwaite. uh, And I hope I've missed anyone out, but welcome everyone who's joined us in the chat room. Later on in the show, we've got uh, a very special interview indeed coming up uh, with Andy Coulson uh, from uh, Farnborough. He's the head of Airshow Operations there. We're going to be chatting to him uh, about what it takes to put together the air show that is Farnborough 2018. Uh, But we are going to uh, start off with the news then. So uh, as we do each week, we're going to start off with the news with a roundup of everything that's been happening around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. Oh, yes. No, I'm very much ready. Yes. And if you're ready, Nev. Me too. Yes. Let's go. (laughs) 
So kicking off this week's first news story, this one is on the AT World or AT Air Transport World dot com website, ATW. And uh, do you remember, Nev, we were talking a few weeks back about uh, all these um, secondhand A through eighties that are going to be appearing soon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This uh, this one, the headline is High Fly to acquire the first A three eighty mid year. So Portuguese wet lease specialist High Fly plans to take delivery of its first Airbus A380 in May or June this year, the company has said. Uh, the A380 will be configured in a 471-seat layout with 399 economy seats on the main deck plus 60 business class and 12 first class seats on the upper deck. The carrier plans to use the aircraft for its core business activity, wet lease cap uh, capacity to other airlines. The aircraft is one of former Singapore Airlines aircraft the carrier has been returning to its first 10-year lease. The spokesman said that all high flyers prepared to communicate but the company may buy more. Highfly has been indicating its interest in the A380 for some time, and it was originally targeting two uh, Dr. Peters-owned units. However, that deal is understood to have fallen through because the two sides couldn't come to an agreement on commercial terms. Now, Highfly uh, appears to be buying just one aircraft so far, owned by Doric. The airline does not specify the previous owner and Doric declined to comment. Highfly operates a fleet of 15 aircraft, mostly Airbus A330s and A340s. The company also plans to take 10 A330-900s from 2019 onwards. Highfly will be the first A380 operator in the second-hand market. International Airlines Group CEO Willie Walsh has hinted before that B and Iberia could take used A380s if the price was right, but more recently criticised Airbus for having unrealistically high prices expectations. According to Walsh, no negotiations have taken place for some time. Other carriers such as Lufthansa have ruled out taking more A380s. Others like Australian flag carrier Qantas are no longer interested in uh, interested, uh, aircraft from a, from a firm order. UK long-haul carrier Virgin Atlantic recently cancelled its long-standing commitment for six of the A380s. And a recent uh, Dubai-based Emirates Airlines uh, followed up an order for 36 more brand-new A380s, ensuring that Airbus can continue to produce the aircraft at low rates for some years to come. Now, I read a bit more on this story on some more sites, and it's going to be interesting to do. These are going to be, oh, this is going to be an ex-Singapore Airlines aircraft. And it will be interesting to do or see whether they keep the interiors or put their own interiors in there. <clears throat> yeah, it will be, won't it? I, 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 what I'm really interested to know is how much does it cost to wet lease an A380? So that's the aircraft <laughs> and the crew. I'd be really interested to know what sort of numbers they are. And um, I think, of course, a lot of people use them because of shortage of capacity or um, they've opened up new routes before their aircraft are available all sorts of reasons so um, but uh, yeah this is this is quite interesting isn't it as, as Matt said in the uh, chat room just there 
uh, this has actually come about very quickly, really, because mm. the A380 just feels like quite a new aircraft. It? it does, doesn't it? I mean, it really hasn't been about that long, has it? I, I, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, how, how long has it actually been on the market? It feels it's like only a few years. Uh, ten, ten years. It's oh, really? Just oh, recently. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's a very short shelf life. This in this day and age oh, yeah. for for an aircraft, isn't it? When you think the seven four has been going for what feels like hundreds of years, um, you know, uh, it sort of seems very sad that. I mean, in, in its time, it, it was uh, was it. I mean, it was never really a a very popular aircraft, though, was it? Only with the big players. Yeah. Um, obviously, Emirates and Singapore Airlines as well. Obviously, um, you know, when this aircraft came about, it was it was the aircraft of choice for those few big airlines. You know, the airlines that could afford to buy these aircraft or or lease them as well. But no, I, I, like I said just a minute ago, it would be interesting to see because obviously Singapore Airlines has such. Um, quite a good quality, high level of service and interior cabin interiors. Whether uh, they will high fly will keep these particular uh, seats mm. and um, obviously the first class, um, business class stuff. Whether they'll keep those and just kind of rebrand them with their own names. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? It's, uh, or whether they'd even be allowed to, I suppose. But yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. So, uh, Matt, the next story is uh, is for you. Yes, indeed. Surprise, surprise! You'll uh, you'll never guess, listeners, what story number two <laughs> might, uh, which airline this might particularly involve. Uh, but anyway, this is on the TravelWeekly.co.uk website, and the headline is Ryanair hits 10 million passenger milestone in March, uh, which is a very exciting story actually so Ryanair has reported its March traffic grew 6% to 10 million passengers the budget carrier also saw its load factor jump to 95% up one percentage point uh, compared to March 2017 Ryanair's rolling annual traffic to March grew 9% to 130.3 million customers chief marketing officer Kenny Jacobs oh goody I do love it when I see that name said uh, Ryanair customers can look forward to more low-cost fares and an improved customer experience in 2018 as we roll out more always getting better improvements so we urge all customers who wish to book this summer uh, in 2018 their holidays to do so now on ryanair.com website or the mobile app so yeah so they have they've hit a massive milestone there really isn't it that 10 million passengers in 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 march is just crazy absolutely crazy it just goes to prove, like we've always said, you know, as much as we do joke about Ryanair and, you know, we do have the, the interesting stories every now and again, it just proves <laughs> yeah. a point that, you know, this this airline, as, as much as they get bashed uh, by the various news uh, mm. journals and stuff, they'll still continue to increase and increase. I tell you what, so I want one of you guys there because, as I say, I've got sort of minor connection issues here the, uh, the, today. But somebody needs to go. I, somebody look up the figures, the load factors, and that for for EasyJet. It'd be interesting to see how they compare in <laughs> regard to the. Uh, but like, you know, what sort of figure are they talking about for March? I mean, quite fascinating, really. Mm. You know, I mean, I know so the next got, story. Oh, sorry. No, well, I know they've got a big network, and perhaps that 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 sort of helps. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting story. So, Nev, the next story is uh, all for you. Yeah, it's on the independent.co.uk website, and, yeah, it's a massive headline. Passengers to Heathrow can expect delays of 20 minutes. <gasps> Extraordinary. 
people who live near Heathrow Airport can expect extra flights early in the morning for the next 10 days as new air traffic control practices bed in. Permission has been granted for an extra eight arrivals before 6am. Residents of the home counties beneath the four holding points for the airport should anticipate more aircraft to be flying around in circles above them over the next few weeks, whilst weary airline travellers can expect delays touching down at Europe's busiest airport. At Gatwick, up to 10 additional flights may operate up to 11.30pm uh, as an exemption from the usual night flight quota at the Sussex airport. Uh, the reason is that there's an overhaul of the air traffic control procedures in the southeast of England and that's taking effect on Wednesday the 4th of April. That's just gone. And London has uh, far more flights than any other city in the world, as well as the busiest airspace, with Luton, Stansted and London City airports adding to the complexity for controllers. Nats, who is the air traffic provider, is switching from a 20th century system using paper strips to a new uh, electronic tool uh, known as XEXCDS. Exodus. Uh, whilst two control areas have already made the change, the stage that takes effect on Wednesday morning affects the London Terminal Control Centre, which covers a large area of southeast England, stretching from the south of Birmingham to the French coast. And so for the first 10 days of the transition, the amount of air traffic will be reduced to allow controllers to adjust to the new system. The idea is to chop the tops off the spikes in aircraft moments, reducing the maximum number of flights using the runways, increasing the number of flights outside normal operating hours will mitigate the impact on passengers. And Heathrow is the busiest two-runway airport in the world, whilst Gatwick handles more movements than any other single runway airport. Pete Dawson, General Manager of London Terminal Control, said we'll be reducing the amount of air traffic in the transitioning sectors to give controllers more space to build up their confidence using the new tool in the live environment. We apologise in advance to any passengers who are affected. We thank the residents close to these airports for their understanding whilst we make this important change. And he called the move a crucial step in preparing ourselves for future traffic levels. Nats has warned passengers at Heathrow to anticipate an average delay of 20 minutes going to Heathrow and journeys to Gatwick being extended by about 10 minutes. Inbound delays are likely to lead to outbound flights running late. After the initial 10-day spell, there are expected to be a further 10 days of reduced traffic with full capacity restored within a few weeks. And a spokesman for British Airways, who is the biggest airline operating at Heathrow, said we're expecting to run a full schedule. Well, it's just a bit of a, a bit of adjustment, isn't it, as they bed in the new system? So not exactly a massive um, story, but uh, interesting that... Um, they have uh, been allowed to extend the flight operations yeah. into the evening and to allow some to come in a bit earlier too. I'll tell you what, I mean, and I'm speaking, I'm just talking as an ordinary IT guy here, When whenever you in, roll out a new system, there are going to be some very nervous people out there as that button is pressed to make that system go live, isn't there? That's going to be scary stuff. <laughs> oh dear. But I mean, we, we've, we've been very lucky indeed, us, us guys as, as as hosts um uh, you know being able to go up to heathrow and see you know uh, you know what happened the operations the yeah. and stuff mm. um with with adam and that and uh, it is you know it's a heck of a, a you know a big 
kind of mission getting all this stuff and bits and pieces in place and um, well and especially yeah. at Heathrow when it's is it one one takeoff every 90 seconds or something stupid is it something or one take one is either taking off or landing every 90 seconds yes. I think it's yeah. just yeah. it's just uh, the logistic and that's the that's the the one thing that I'll always remember from from our time uh, visiting the tower is how serenely peaceful and calm <laughs> it is all up there you know we, you've like got a, a lending library isn't yeah, it? it was so absolutely quite, it? I mean we didn't dare talk to each other did we i mean it was like you know because if we say something and somebody can't oh, oh the the pressure and the stress was just like you know it was yeah 15 minutes was enough for me i gotta be honest <laughs> i'll tell you what i pay money for i'll pay that money for that view though that view is just like uh, it's a view of london that we're very privileged to have seen really isn't it yeah. I tell you, if they ever sell Heathrow Control Tower, you know, it, it would make an awesome hotel with a penthouse. Suite. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, <laughs> what a penthouse suite it would be. Anyway, moving on. Sorry. <laughs> moving on before I dream too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, next, the next uh, story is uh, on one of the best publications in the world. Uh oh. Uh, it's obviously the Times of Malta. Oh, dear. Com. And uh, I, thought, right. I thought I thought you were going to be talking about the Daily Star or something. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Whatever. But this one, as I said, the Times of Malta website for this one, and uh, Emirates uh, Air, Emirates Airways airline uh, has been uh, named airline of the year um, by the Air Transport Awards. Emirates have won the prestigious accolade based on the evaluation from a jury comprised of executives and experts from different sectors within the aviation industry. Fury and Tenori, Executive Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer for Emirates, received the award on behalf of the airline. Commenting on the win, Mr. Antonori said, we are honoured to be recognised by the Air Transport Awards for our commitment to excellence. We have a strong customer-centric focus across the airline to deliver the best possible experience both in the air and on the ground by continually investing in a modern fleet, product innovations and service enhancements. We are also embracing technology across our operations to meet and exceed evolving consumer preferences. This award is a testament to the hard work and efforts of staff across the airline that make a difference every day by taking care of customers and keeping our service levels high. Emirates is the world's largest international airline with a network that spans 159 destinations in 85 countries, operating one of the world's youngest wide-bodied fleets made up of Boeing 777 and Airbus A380 aircraft. Over the past year, the airline has launched a number of significant product enhancements on its 777s and A380 aircraft. Emirates unveiled its enhanced A380 onboard lounge featuring an area look and feel, reconfiguring seating arrangements around the iconic bar with a private yacht-inspired decor, as well as new high-tech touches. In November 2017, Emirates uh, revealed its game-changing, fully enclosed Boeing 777-300ER first-class private suites. Suites that I got the chance to go and have a look at, and they are awesome. Uh, as part of a multi multi-million dollar upgrade that saw enhancements across all the cabin classes. The airline has also introduced a brand new business class cabin and configuration on its Boeing 777-200LR aircraft with wider seats laid out in a 222 configuration for the first time. Emirates' le industry-leading in-flight entertainment system called ICE continues to set benchmarks delivering up to three and a half thousand channels of entertainment for passengers across all classes. 
In economy class, Emirates introduced sustainable blankets made from 100% recycled plastic bottles, making it the largest onboard sustainable blanket program in the airline industry. On the ground, the airline expanded its lounge network and today operates 41 dedicated Emirates lounges globally, improving on the in-ground, on-ground experience customer service. Uh, Emirates and its partners announced the Together initiative, a collaboration for Streamliner or streamlined airport experiences with the implementation of biometric technology and the new automated border control gates for smoother passenger flows through key points at Dubai International Airport. Now it's safe to say that it's not surprising that um, Emirates have won the award. I mean it's a huge airline it's, mm. it's safe to say but um, being was it, was it a, Emirates know, having the chance to have flown with Emirates quite a few times you know I can honestly say that their service is incredible. Was it was it Emirates that uh, Dr. Steph was flying on recently? Wasn't it? when where, where she did uh, when she was doing her little tours? Uh, was it Emirates that she did the the whole sort of um, first class suite thing? Was that Emirates yeah, or was it, was it Emirates or Qatar? I can't remember which one it yeah, was. But, um, no. Yeah, I mean they they are setting the standard. But what strikes me here is um, the in-flight entertainment system of three and a half thousand channels. <laughs> It's yes. scary, isn't it? Yeah. Eye watering. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It's it's just like I mean, you'd like to think that with so many channels available to you, you would be able to find something to watch. Uh, there be there there must be something to cover all tastes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lane Street has uh, said in the chat room that there's nothing more comfortable than a plastic blankie. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't feel like you're wrapping yourself in a plastic bottle. I'm sure that you know. I'm sure it's got a, a sort of a, a fibre-based <laughs> sort of feel to it. <laughs> So, moving on to the next story then, Matt. And, yes. Uh, that's one's for you. Yeah, indeed. Uh, just pressing a few this buttons This one's quite here. interesting, actually. I, I was quite shocked at this, but obviously it's safe enough. Uh, right, OK, good. Uh, so it's the Star... Oh, the Star Online, right, obviously, which is where I go for all of my uh, uh, meat. It's not It's not the Star in the UK. It's the star.com.my. So I presume this is in Malaysia itself, isn't it? So, yes. Yeah, so uh, the headline is Malaysia Airlines now allows bookings via its Facebook. Ooh, given the fun and games that have been going on here in, in the USA and the UK with Facebook, that's brave. Anyway, uh, so in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia Airlines... Uh, BHD now allows travellers to make bookings on its Facebook page sh uh, following its journey to digitisation. The national carrier said on Tuesday it is the first airline in Asia to allow users to book flights and process payments through Facebook Messenger, which is one of the three new digital initiatives. Malaysia Air uh, Airlines Chief Commercial Officer... Um... Uh, we'll say Arved, that'll do. So anyway, the Chief Commercial <laughs> Officer, Arved, had on Tuesday unveiled the new digital initiatives, uh, Guardian, so it's MH Guardian, MH Feedback and MH Chat, and to enhance its passengers' travelling experience. Over the last 12 months, Malaysia Airlines has been prioritising its investment in digital advancement. Our improved website has a managed booking tool which allows for easier changes 
exchanges and refunds, dynamic currency conversion and a new Enrich members portal. We also have a range of value-added service on the website for our customers, including car rentals, hotel bookings, as well as uh, Tackerful Insurance, Tackerful Insurance, which I assume is travel insurance of some description. Our in-flight shopping temptations are also available to order online. Our digital solutions underline our efforts to deliver the best of Malaysian hospitality as displayed in our latest brand campaign. Besides offering warm and genuine service, we want our passengers to plan their journey in the most seamless and convenient way. Uh, Von Zermulen said that the airline's studies uh, show a continuous trend of mobile first in aviation. More than half of Malaysians prefer to plan research and book their trips via their mobile. He pointed out this is just this just shows that passengers are more self-sufficient and that they want more control over their travels malaysia airways latest app mh guardian is a mobile application which enables pa parents or guardians to track unaccompanied minors throughout their travel with malaysia airlines this mobile app was the winning idea of malaysia airlines 2017 hackathon and is targeted to launch by the quarter three of 2018 mh guardian will also be extended to support unaccompanied elderly passengers and passengers who require special assistance already available for download is MH Feedback. This mobile app allows customers to immediately share their feedback and anonymous, anonymously on their experience with Malaysia Airways. I, I strongly recommend BA never do something similar. Uh, passengers can type their feedback uh, rate the airline's service or upload photos of areas that require improvement. Uh, through artificial intelligence, AI uh, the cognitive services, the images and comments submitted are classified and analysed for sentiment and immediately directed to responsible the responsible service unit. The third digital initiative, MH Chat, is an interactive Facebook Messenger bot. Uh, it also, uh, sorry, it allows all Malaysia Airlines uh, passengers to take bookings, payments and retrieve their flight itinerary. Through the integration of AI, the bot delivers an experience just like with a real customer service agent. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting story, actually, and I know that there's a lot of companies who have been using these sort of bot uh, services. I know Skype have got several bots, haven't they, that you can use to, to uh, get, get to order products. I know uh, Domino's Pizza, for example, here here in the UK you can do something similar you can use Facebook Messenger to order your pizza uh, and it uses sort of default payments and things that have all been set up on your account so presumably this is exactly how the Malaysian Air Airways uh, system is going to work I mean for you for you two obviously you two guys are, are, are tech tech gurus <laughs> both you and Nev um, you know is this safe secure I, I think it's as secure as people mm. want it to be. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's always holes in, the, in these sorts of things. And, of course, the people that want to breach the security thing, they're always mm. two steps ahead anyway. Mm. So they can do their, their very best. But I just find it a bit of an odd way of going about it. I have to say, yeah. it just doesn't feel quite right to me somehow. Yeah, there, there is, there, there is even. I mean, you know, I love my technology, but there is sometimes it is nice to. Uh, I don't know. It feels. I like to have. If I'm going to do it online, I like to have the computer in front of me. I like to have all the relevant information, uh, and then away, away you go. And again, in regard to the security that you're mentioning there, Carlos, the, uh, the. In, I mean, in some respects, because you can't put your card details into the messenger bot, you have to have already had that pre-set up, if you like, in your in your account with Malaysian Airways, as a, as an example. So, so. 
all it's doing merely is carrying out a set of instructions in the messenger so in some respects it's you could argue maybe it is safer because stuff isn't uh, coming backwards and forwards somebody else couldn't use your account to book their own flight in their name because obviously it'll use default settings if you like so uh, uh, i would argue possibly it could be considered more safe apart from the fact that it's on facebook <laughs> so nev the next story is uh, all for you Yes, we talked about uh, wet leasing aircraft earlier on, and there's more wet leasing going on. It's a positive flood, in fact. Uh, this is on the aircargonews.net, and uh, UPS has turned to wet leased aircraft as it tries to keep up with express and cargo demand growth ahead of new aircraft deliveries. The Express Giants is, says that it's adding 35 aircraft to its fleet over the next four years, including nine in 2018. This fleet expansion will add more than 4,000 metric tonnes of cargo capacity to its network of more than 580 owned and leased aircraft. However, the company told Air Cargo News that it was turning to wet leases in the meantime, although it did not reveal more details. Reports do suggest that UPS is wet leasing seven aircraft from Western Global Airlines and 21 Air. A spokesman said new aircraft purchases and dry leases have lead times and the market for used aircraft is tight so we're bridging the gap with wet leases. These arrangements are governed by confidentiality agreements so we won't discuss the specifics of them but these purchases are part of UPS's ongoing strategic capital investments for increased global operating capacity. These expenditures from aircraft to facilities support continued customer demand which in turn fuels the company's profitable growth. Growth. Beyond the new jets, UPS is pursuing a multi-phased approach to increasing lift. That also uh, includes dry leases, which is aircraft owned by other, uh, other companies but operated by UPS personnel, wet leases, which is the aircraft owned and operated by other carriers, and purchasing used aeroplanes. According to Bloomberg, the news of the wet lease aircraft has been met with dismay by the Independent Pilots Union, which accused the airline of poor planning and insufficient investment. Bloomberg said that the union had referred the case to an industry arbiter uh, and uh, has alleged that the move breaches labour contracts by outsourcing flying that should be carried out by UPS's own pilots. Earlier this year, UPS ordered an additional 14 Boeing 747-8 freight cargo aircraft and four new Boeing 767F aircraft to provide additional capacity in response to demand growth. All of the new aircraft will be added to the existing fleet and no existing aircraft are being replaced. The aircraft will be delivered on an expedited schedule, building on the company's 2016 order of 14 Boeing 747-8 freighters. As well as the order for new aircraft, UPS this year announced more than $12 billion in investment to expand the company's smart logistics network, significantly increasing pension funding and position the company to further enhance shareholder value. It just amazes me that the operations, I mean, this is just UPS, the thing yeah. about DHL and, and all the rest of them, but yeah. it, these cargo operations are absolutely enormous, aren't they? They are, yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it just goes to show, you know, when you, like I said, before on the show if you wake up in the early hours of the morning and you you know if you have a chance we're half asleep to look at flight radar 24 or, or the other apps that are available um you know it's amazing to see that nearly every single aircraft in the air um especially over europe and the uk are all you know either ups or fedex mm. or these cargo carriers and 
it's just amazing to know that you know with if you take all that away take you know all these big cargo carriers away the world would be well it, it wouldn't run as well as it does now well because uh, uh, we, we we live in a world now don't we where where everybody wants everything yesterday don't they i mean it's you know pe people want if they've ordered a product from the uk they want it in in the usa within three days don't they and i mean certainly my experience uh, when we when we did uh, new york and we're probably going to do something similar when we go again in november uh, we used ups to actually ferry our, our our stand materials you know so all the stock that we had on our stand uh, that we were giving out as freebies at, at the vet show um and uh we did it on an overnight and it actually the, the the stuff got there faster than we did it took us longer to go in the airplane to get to new york than it did for us to, uh, the stuff was already at the hotel before we got there <laughs> it was just and they left and it left after us that's the stupid thing <laughs> i think the great thing as well for uh, for boeing especially with with ups is obviously because um Boeing were obviously struggling selling the uh, the seven four seven dash eight freighter mm. um, uh, or the actual dash eight itself, but obviously with uh, UPS ordering an, an additional fourteen of these, um, yeah. you know, we've said it again. We'll say, you know, we'll say it before. We'll say it again. At least this will keep the seven four seven in the skies <laughs> for yeah. quite the foreseeable future. Well, yes, that's true. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is on the businesslive.co.za, and uh, the headline is, uh, well, this is a kind of another freighter kind of story. This is Boeing considers converting aircraft. So uh, London, Chicago, Boeing is considering whether to convert used 777 passenger aircraft into freighters, seeking to capitalise as booming e-commerce sales spur new demand for air freight worldwide. People familiar with the matter says that uh, while Boeing has studied retrofitting the used wide bodies for more than a decade, the effort has taken on a new life in recent months as air cargo emerged from its recession era slump, uh, said the people who asked not to be identified as the matter is confidential. Well, that's good handy. So the new product would also fuel sales at a new global services division as Boeing works to more, to, uh, more than triple the unit's $15 billion in annual revenue over the next 10 years. Offering revamped versions of the 777-200ERs would expand Boeing's catalogue of freighters but risk cannibalising sales of factory fresh aircraft. Demand for conversions is growing as online shopping surges and package couriers seek lower cost alternatives to buying new planes. Air freight is expected to rise 4.5% in 2018 after gaining 9% in 2017, according to the International Air Transport Association. Boeing's freighter lineup includes versions of its single aisle 737 and wide-bodied uh, aircraft except for the 787 Dreamliner. Airbus is also exploring an expansion of its cargo offerings with a version of its slow-selling A330neo twin-aisle aircraft. Boeing spokesman Dan Mosley declined to comment on plans for retrofitting 777s but said its first quarter sales of factory-built freighters would double the total 
for all of the 2017. Across the portfolio of commercial aircraft and services, we are always looking at how we can provide more value to customers. A looming wave of retirements for older Boeing, uh, older cargo hauliers, such as the three-engined MD-11s, <laughs> flown by FedEx Corporation and United Parcel Services, is expected to squeeze cargo capacity uh, in the coming years. Meanwhile, prices for used 777s are falling to the point at which they can be affordably remade to haul packages instead of people. Still deciding to retrofit the old aircraft is not a slam dunk. Boeing does not want to cut into sales of factory-built 777 freighters, which will be critical to filling its order books as the company shifts towards an upgrade of the 777X line through early 2020. They've been talking about a 200 ER conversion program for over a decade, said George Dimitrov, the head of uh, valuations at Flight Ascend Consultancy. So, I mean, so basically what they're on about here is is kind of taking these the, the used 777s that uh, come back, passenger versions, mm. converting them into freighters, then reselling them. It's but a that, good idea, I suppose. It's kind um, of commonplace, you know, isn't it? Isn't that something that happens quite quite often anyway? I mean, this is not sort of a, a new thing, is it? I think what the story is saying as well, Matt, is that they're going considering kind of taking the already built passenger versions of yeah. these aircraft and then kind of reconverting them into uh, to freighters to be sold but as you know nev was saying in the last story you know the um the whole cargo kind of um thing is is just increasing more and yeah. more as the story said this year and more and more of these aircraft are needed to replace the horrible md11s <laughs> <laughs> now come on somebody must love them <laughs> Yeah, actually, I, actually, I, I know one person who loves the MD11, and that's Peter Johnson over at uh, over at the um, oh, extended, ex extended podcast, yeah. yeah. Oh well, yeah. yeah. As I say, you know, it's something that doesn't appeal to you will always appeal to someone else. So you know, it's <laughs> you, they they are all amazing bits of kit. There's the you know, as, as an outsider looking in, the very fact that they 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 get into the air is frankly uh, astounding. So you know, it's. Uh, well, we've got uh, just to let you warn you guys we have podcast royalty oh. in the uh, chat room uh -oh. uh, captain jeff is oh. in the chat room mm. i doff my cap to you sir uh, <laughs> okay uh are, are you right Nev? i can't hear you nev is everything all right oh sorry i beg your pardon perhaps uh, my volume was a bit low there we are hello that's better <laughs> i thought you got one of these little fancy buttons there you keep muting yourself during oh, that. Yeah, <laughs> indeed so matt your story then is uh, is a story about some uh, engine issues that have apparently been sorted. Yeah, so I'll read I'll read you the initial story, and then there was an update that, that sort of comes with it. So flightglobal.com is the website, and the headline is Airbus to resume Pratt powered. A320 Neo deliveries in April. So an Airbus aims to resume uh, deliveries of the Pratt & Whitney powered A320 Neos this month. The uh, company says it's already received the PW1100G engines with uh, required fixes and deliveries of aircrafts with the geared turbofans will resume this month, ending a several month delivery hiatus spurred by engine troubles. So news broke in February that some A320 Neo family aircraft have been grounded due to 
in-flight and at takeoff failures of several PW1100G power plants. So Pratt & Whitney has said that the issue affected 98 PW1100G engines. Of those, 43 had been installed on 32 aircraft delivered to airlines and 55 had been delivered to Airbus but not to airline customers. The problem stems from a modification Pratt & Whitney made in mid-2017 to a component of the engine's high-pressure compressor. That modification was supposed to increase durability. In February, Airbus Chief Executive Tom Enders said that Airbus expected to receive modified Pratt & Whitney 1100G engines by April and resume the A320neo deliveries that month and at the top of the story here it actually says it was updated so this was initially released on the 3rd of April uh, and then it was updated again on the 4th of April with a statement saying that Airbus has corrected previous information given to Flight Global. The company now says there is no change in the timeline for resumption of the Pratt & Whitney powered A320neo deliveries. Those deliveries will resume in April, Airbus says. Uh, the company has already received uh, Pratt & Whitney 1100G engines with the required fixes. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's never good, is it, I suppose, if they find something after um, delivery has commenced uh, uh, with any of these engines. But they, these are supposed to be quite good engines, aren't they? Well, it's, I, I was just thinking about the story while you were in This is, rings true with all I mean, this is a new engine, you yeah. know, and I think it's safe to say that with anything that's new in the aviation industry, whether it's an engine or an aircraft, you know, f I think from the beginning, there's always going to be some kind of teething. Yeah. You're, you're always going to get look at the, look at the Dreamliner. When the Dreamliner first came on the line, on the market. Oh, the batteries. You know, <laughs> had the battery issues. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you've got the new engines and stuff coming online and, um, you know, the I mean, when Rolls-Royce um, brought the RB211 engine out that powered the um, the 767 and uh, the TriStar, funnily enough, uh, and that, you know, when they brought that engine out, it had loads, phenomenal amount of problems and issues, but it later became to to be one of the best-selling and, and best engines on the market, the RB211. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that yeah. happens, I think you'll find. Yes, and thankfully no serious... Um issues if you like no no accidents per se uh you no. know the problem was solved uh beforehand essentially thank goodness for that <laughs> so nev the next story i think is <laughs> quite interesting <laughs> yes well this is on the newsweek website and it says that part of an australian international airport was cordoned off on wednesday after a black bag with the word bomb written on it <laughs> found at a baggage carousel right i mean i mean do most people label their incendiary devices if they're going to <laughs> well there, there's a bit of a clue coming up here because it says okay. rather than a, a terrorist plot it turned out to be a crime against common sense a oh. passenger flying from mumbai india to brisbane clearly decided that their bag needed a helping hand to ensure it ensured it reached its destination safely. A photo of the bag supplied to Yahoo 7 News shows a note stuck on the front reading Bomb to Brisbane with the word Mumbai squeezed in below. The name of India's largest city was changed from Bombay to Mumbai in 1995 but its international airport code remains Bomb, B-O-M. 
Though comical in hindsight, police reacted seriously to the potential threat, ushering passengers away from the area and establishing a cordon. The Australian Federal Federal Police responded to reports of a suspicious item of baggage at Brisbane International Airport this morning, a police spokesman told Yahoo 7 News. An area near a baggage carousel was cordoned off and the item was examined in accordance with routine protocols and was deemed not to be suspicious. Sorry, and was not deemed to be suspicious. Well, uh, the passenger is believed to have been absent-minded rather than malicious and will no doubt write the name of the city in full <laughs> on future trips. A yeah. Mumbai International Airport spokesman confirmed that the passenger referred to Mumbai as BOM when writing the departure airport on her luggage. Which, to be Spoken fair, it is the code, God. isn't it? So it's just like... Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, yeah. yeah. I can't believe um, that people who are working in an airport didn't sort of pick up on that before it all got a bit serious. Yes, I think there's a bit of... I think everybody's on edge, aren't they, you see? Yeah. There's obviously known security threats and and all the rest of it. So uh, this sort of thing um, can be tricky. And in fact, actually, in my industry, the one I work in, um, we talk about bombs quite a lot, but we actually... uh, It's a three-letter acronym for... Bill of materials. Oh, of course. Uh, uh, and so, right. if we're going through the security, someone says to me, "Oh, Ned, have you got the bomb with you?" No. So, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness! Slap you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yes. yes. You're about oh, to be punished. Dear. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it, it was just so funny. I was just looking at the pictures on there on that news story. It's just, it's just so amusing. Obviously, we can't put the pictures up on the screen, but um, it's. I mean, even the way it's been written on the on the luggage, you know, it's like. Uh, someone's got a roll of uh, masking tape and uh, kind of written on with black pen so yeah yeah, I I love it I mean in some respects it's quite a sensible idea as you say because you're trying to make sure that essentially this this bag that you want when you get to Mumbai does actually get on the right plane you know but uh, yeah perhaps it's um, yes a little naivety on on all parties in, in this particular story Matthew Bunting Frame in the chat room says it's it is Brisbane, and they are a little slow up there. Oh. <gasps> I can't believe you read that out, Carlos. See, we're going to get sued now. <laughs> well, no, I'm not Matthew Bunting. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. moving on. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last uh, story in the news segment this week. And uh, it is, well, it's, it's, it's a, well, top ten of the best airports in the world. Now, you know, we love to bring you all a top ten. Yes. So uh, this one uh, is uh, been put together by the company eDreams that brings you a best selection of the world's best and worst airports across the globe. So uh, are we going to start for number ten, guys? Yes, I should, yes. Yeah. Number 10. So at number 10, it is our very own airport here in the UK, London Heathrow. In uh, nine. <laughs> sorry, at number nine, it's uh, Rome Fiumicino Airport, uh, which says it's modern uh, and hospitable airport, with an excellent duty free. Excellent. It is number eight next. At number eight, it's Madrid Barrages Airport. And uh, it says here that they have a huge children's play area, <laughs> uh, unique in the world, I believe. Uh, that's obviously what I look for in an, in- in an airport. It's number seven, please. 
That's at Frankfurt Airport, and Katja in Germany says it's very friendly and helpful staff. It's number six. Number six, it's Dusseldorf Airport. And uh, Joe in the UK says, lots of self-service machines, did not have to wait long in lines, and great when you only have a carry-on. Well, there we are. That is great news indeed, everyone. It is middle for diddle. It's number five. And the anonymous traveller in Germany says that Munich Airport is one of the best airports in Europe. Right, so, so, so best that, that, that they wanted to remain anonymous throughout. Anyway, number four, please. This is another... Well, I think they're one in the same area, near enough here. So we've got uh, number four, Copenhagen Airport. And Mitch in Slovenia says, very nice and conveniently located airport. <laughs> it's uh, a new entry this week at number three. And that's at uh, Istanbul Atatürk Airport. And uh, Cal from the USA says, Istanbul Airport is beautiful and is connected by an excellent metro service. Well, there we are. At number two, it is uh, a non-mover this week. Uh, number two, it's Zurich Airport, and Yevgenia uh, in Switzerland says, <laughs> beautiful. to me, it's the most beautiful airport in the world. Well, you sound a little bit biased, I'm going to be honest, and it is some of the pops, it is number one. And once again, it's there again, isn't it? It's uh, Singapore Changi Airport, and simply the uh, person that's uh, reviewing it says, Singapore Airport is always excellent. Well, I'm, actually, all jokes aside, I mean, this is an airport that we hear hear of. It's always top of the charts, isn't it? When it whenever we do any of these things, I mean, have you ever been anywhere near it, Nev? Just out of interest. Yeah, I've been through Singapore uh, twice before on my way to Australia and back again. And uh, this was uh, well, start of the 2000s, so uh, things have moved on a lot since then, I'm sure. But it's it was a very spacious airport, always very easy to get around as well. Yeah. So on that uh, on that story, we also are going to slide in a top five of the worst airports in the world and uh, these obviously again are the top five airports rated worst in the world by the uh, the eDreams websites. So Matt if you want to kick us off with number five. So in five. <laughs> so at number five it's everyone's favourite airport here in the UK. It's London Luton. Right. Oh no. <laughs> and that's only that's only at number five. Wow, that needs to be way, way up there. Anyway, in four. I was expecting that to be number one. Yeah, yeah, me too. Number four <laughs> is Berlin Schoenfeld Airport. Uh, I guess which is number four, yes. Uh, in three. At number three, it's Berlin Tegel Airport in Berlin, Germany. In two. Rome Ciampino Airport in Italy. Ooh, we need to talk to, to the lovely Jenny in Rome there. I wonder if she's been through there at all. Anyway, in at number one. The worst airport in the world ever, according to eDreams, is Casablanca Mohammed V or Mohammed V Airport in Casablanca, Morocco. Oh, well, I wonder why. Have you been anywhere there, near there, Nev? I haven't known, but it sounds so romantic, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Casablanca, it turns out to be the worst airport. Hideous, yeah. Okay, yeah, it seems terribly unf unfair, really, doesn't it? But there yeah. we are, it is what it is. <laughs> So that is where we bring the commercial news stories to a close. It's been a fun one again this week, guys. I think you'll agree. <laughs> um, we have uh, we've got uh, a military news segment coming up next, and after that, we have got uh, Nev's passenger experience segment, uh, which is 
awesome. But first, we have got uh, some special Royal Air Force stories to go through in the uh, military news segment, as it's the 100-year anniversary. So, Matt, if you're ready for the military news... I am indeed, yes. And Nev? I am too, yes. Let's go. So the first military news story on this week's show then is on the getsurrey.co.uk website. And as we all know, it's the 100-year anniversary uh, for the Royal Air Force. And uh, this is quite a good story, actually. Pick this one, especially for uh, all you military story lovers. So the headline on here is, 50 years ago, a Royal Air Force pilot ended his career with this incredibly brave tribute. So the story goes that uh, there's something in the air over London in the revolutionary spring of 1968. A low-level Hawker Hunter jet fighter twisted and turned above the Thames, passing hair-raisingly close to the tops of the road and rail bridges as it made its way towards the Houses of Parliament. What happened next proved to be one of the most extraordinary episodes in aviation history. It also ended the Royal Air Force career of the pilot, Flight Lieutenant Alan Pollock, the man who shot Tower Bridge by flying under its, <laughs> its upper span, the only time this has ever been done by a jet fighter. Oh, wow. <laughs> The 32-year-old father of four was an unlikely revolutionary. Flight commander of Number 1 Squadron, the Royal Air Force oldest squadron, Pollock had achieved an exceptional rating from Cranwell Royal Air Force Training College and had gone on to become a respected combat pilot. But on the 5th of April 1968, Pollock was not a happy man. He was seething that plans for the official celebrations of the 50th anniversary of the Royal Air Force had not included an official fly-past over London. Monday, April the 1st, was the official anniversary, so I was surprised to find we were on normal duties, he said in a 2010 interview with BBC Radio 4. In fact, most of the pilots didn't even realise it was the anniversary, he said. On April the 4th, Pollock and three other Hunter pilots flew from West Raynham to Tangmere Airfield to celebrate the occasion. Knowing their return flight would take them over central London, Pollock decided to make his own unofficial one-man fly-past. Breaking away from his companions, he approached the metropolis at low level, his Rolls-Royce Avon engine throttled back to minimise noise pollution. The plan was really to fly over the Houses of Parliament, make some noise, get court-martialed, and then just express what was not right, he explained. <laughs> The bridges just past Battersea Power Station were very attractive. The site was transfixing in many ways, he said. London seemed so miniature. When I reached Parliament, it was also as if I was in a model village, he said. I circled Parliament three times. Apparently MPs were having a debate on the noise abatement, he said, <laughs> and then dipped his wings at the Royal Air Force Memorial. At that point, Tower Bridge had not figured in Pollock's plans, but at London Bridges, he gazed ahead and there lay it half a mile downstream, a 200-foot-wide, 110-feet-deep frame of stone and steel that gaped invitingly. 
Time stood still, he said, he wrote a later on. It was easy enough to plunge through the middle, but how to do it safely? I could see this London bus on the bridge and decided that the best way to get as high as possible and do a kind of bombing run as close to the two walkways as I could, he said. There were all these girders and steel above the cockpit and for a microsecond I thought I had overcooked it and was too close to the top and that my tail fin was going to be taken off. And then, passing through, something happened that I'd only experienced once before, he said, my heart stopped for a couple of seconds and then just boosted it up again like a full pump. George Taper, duty watchman on the bridge that morning, recalled suddenly where was the most thunderous roar. He looked up and a big silver jet roared by. He didn't even get a chance to see any of its markings, he said. Peter Arnold, working on a boat moored nearby, was similarly incredulous. He saw the plane swooping down and he thought it was going to crash, he recounted. Then it straightened out and shot over our heads and flew under the bridge. I thought I was dreaming, he said, as it appeared all in a flash and was gone in seconds. Deciding that he may well be hung, uh, hung for a sheep as a lamb, Pollock duly beat up several airfields, Watsham, Lagenheath and Marham, en route to West Rainham, where he was formally arrested. Following wow. a Royal Air Force Board of Inquiry, he was medically discharged, thus avoiding a court-martial, which would have been an opportunity to explain his actions while possibly causing embarrassment to the Wilson government. The Met Office Police took a dim view of the unauthorised fly-past. They said that we do not regard this as a joke. It could have been had serious consequences, they said. There were pedestrians and vehicles on the bridge. A spokesman for the London Port Authority was more forthright. They said it was a bloody silly thing to do. <laughs> and they raged. Oh, how the very British. Minor, yeah. <laughs> the only minor casualty it later transpired was a cyclist whose emergency stop had caused him to rip his trousers. <laughs> Although Pollock gallantly volunteered to buy him a new pair, his offer was graciously declined. Now 82 years old and living in retirement with his wife Patricia in Cranley, the man who shot Tower Bridge insisted this week that the events that followed this low-level run down the Thames came as something of a surprise even to himself. Shooting the bridge was a spur-of-the-moment thing, he said, who had been among the Royal Air Force pilots who bombed the stricken oil tanker Torrey Cannon with Naam at the height of around 50 feet off Land's End in March 1967. Any fighter pilot used to attacking targets would have been intrigued by what lay in front of him it was such an unusual situation your brain is working so fast in 1982 he was fully exonerated of any wrongdoings for his actions and any bitterness he may have felt on his departure from the royal air force may have been eased over by 100 letters of support he subsequently received from the general public wow what on earth was the matter with the youth today spluttered retired squadron leader g pilston in a letter of to flight magazine in my day we used to fly whole squadrons of airplanes through bridges at rouen all of number one squadron hurricanes flew the transport bridge one behind the other in RAF circles, you suspect a number of gin and teas will be raised to Alan Pollock. What a story. It is. It's a great story. I, I it? didn't even know that happened. Did you Did you know anything no, about that? I, I didn't actually know. No. 
It was all kept very hush-hush, I think. And, um, in some respects, what a shame he didn't get the opportunity. Or I know a court-martial is a, is a very serious offence, but, uh, you know, it's it's a shame, I, I suppose, because, you know, obviously the Met, Met Police obviously are a bit more, um, you know, less understanding, I suppose, uh, than trying to explain why. But uh, you, 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 it almost beggars belief, really, that in this day and age that, uh, that such a, a milestone was going unmarked. Do you know what I mean? Especially nowadays. Mm, yeah, but it, it must have been such a sight to see oh, that, bet, yeah. um, that aircraft. I would imagine the one person who'll probably know um, know, know all about that story would be uh, Captain Nick. Yes, of yes. course, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, who knows? There may even be a plane tales on its way. Uh, all about oh. it, but uh, who knows? Uh, anyway, so, on to the next story. This is on the uh, uh, Time dot com website, and it's actually quite a sad story. I know we had sad, a, yeah. a, a similar sort of thing with the Red Arrows. Uh, I think it was only last week, wasn't it? So. Uh, uh, this is the US Air Force Thunderbirds pilot is killed in third military air crash this week. Uh, so this story was released on the 5th of April. A US Air Force pilot died after his jet crashed in Nevada during routine exercises on Wednesday, the military officials have said. The Thunderbirds pilot, whose identity has not yet been released, was killed after his F-16 Fighting Falcon crashed over the Nevada tester and training range during a routine aerial demo demonstration training flight the US Air Force has said in a statement officials are investigating the cause of the crash according to the Air Force the incident marked the third US military aircraft crash this week and the fifth fatality four marines were killed in a helicopter crash while practicing desert landings in Southern California on Tuesday officials said earlier that day a marine AV-8B Harrier attack jet crashed after taking off in the um is it Dijabori? Albert, sorry, I'm I'm really bad at these anyway. Uh, an international airport. Uh, the uh, airport. The pilot is reported to be in a stable condition, according to Stars and Stripes. The Air Force said that the Thunderbirds team will no longer participate at the March Air Reserves Base, at the March Field Air and Space Exo. So it's a very very sad story. Uh, any story like this, obviously, is very sad. I mean, we all know how uh, well trained these guys are and how very experienced they are, especially when they are doing sort of displays like like the uh, the Thunderbirds do so it is always a very sad news when you get a story like this yeah it, it is incredibly sad Matt and you know it, we I mean you know we got the chance to see these guys mm. at, uh, at Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh yes uh, amazing they were too yeah and um, you know that they put on a great show I mean they put on more of a uh, sort of a show I suppose on the ground uh, even yeah. more so than the uh, Red Arrows here in the UK, but it's you know these guys are incredibly highly trained, and mm. it's very very sad when something like this happens. Especially Correct. when it's a routine, you know, a r routine that, yeah. that went wrong. Basically, is always very sad. So moving on to the next story, Nev. Yeah, the final in the military section. Uh, it's about the Boeing KC-46 Pegasus aerial tanker, and uh, it's completed its uh, program uh, for uh, fuel uh, on load testing, which is part of its overall supplemental type certificate by successfully transferring 66.2 metric tons of 
jet fuel to another KC-46 using the centerline boom. The fuel transfer took place during a three-hour, 40-minute long flight on an undisclosed date, Boeing says. Both aircraft took off and landed at Boeing Field in Seattle and achieved the maximum fuel offload rate of 1,200 gallons per minute. Having one KC-46 refuel another KC-46 was another step forward uh, receiving the US FAA's supplemental type certificate, uh, the approval Boeing needs to modify the commercial 767-2C into a military tanker. The KC-46 has now demonstrated the ability to receive fuel from three tankers in the US Air Force fleet, KC-46, 135 and KC-10 aircraft, Boeing says. It's also demonstrated refuel with other aircraft types including the F-16, F-A-19, AV-8B, C-17 and A-10. To date the program's test aircraft have completed 2,700 flight hours and more than 2,500 contacts during refuelling flights. Primarily, the KC-46 will be used to refuel other aircraft, but it also must be able to take on fuel whilst flying to extend its own operational range. The tanker's boom system can transfer up to 4,540 litres of fuel per minute, whilst the Cobham-supplied hose and drogue system, located on both the plane's wing and centreline, enables the KC-46 to refuel probe-equipped aircraft with up to 1,510 litres of fuel per minute. Progress towards uh, Boeing's KC-46 receiving its full FAA, FAA certification comes several weeks after the Secretary of the Air Force, Heather Wilson, criticised Boeing for what she believed will be further delivery delays of the aircraft. The US Air Force had expected mm -hmm. Boeing to deliver the first KC-46 by the end of 2017. The airframe manufacturer said it would deliver by the second quarter of 2018, but the US Air Force believes it will miss that target date as well. For its part, Boeing said in response to Secretary Wilson's comments that it was doing all it can to deliver the tankers as soon as possible. However, the firm did not guarantee that the first batch of tankers would be delivered by the second quarter of 2018. Well, it's just an ongoing story, this one, isn't it? It's been, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's been in the news almost every week about these constant delays. But it looks like there's there's progress being made. Uh, Don't you think it's amazing, though, Dave? You know, when you, you see the videos and stuff on, on YouTube of, of fighter jets being air area fueled by tankers but it always amazes me when you see a tanker refueling a tanker yeah, yeah. Just, just two enormous aircraft see, and also you know 60 tons of fuel being transferred that's uh, incredible isn't it yeah. <laughs> in the air yeah. in the air <laughs> just scary yeah, stuff quite. such scary yeah. stuff i wouldn't want to be in control of that there we no. go no. So that's where we bring the military news segment to a close as we said uh, 100 years of the royal air force and uh, yeah well done to uh, to all our service yes. personnel who work in the Royal Air Force. So that is uh, it for that then, and we're going to move straight on to uh, well to this week's MPE segment. So we're going to hand things over to Mr. Bounds. Thank you very much. Yes, well, one of our listeners, Jordan Rose, who lives on the west coast of the US, uh, was in touch recently and he said he would like to do a NEVS passenger experience segment. So we had a good chat uh, over the Skype, uh, which was just this week, um, in fact. But sadly, the, the line wasn't very good, but hopefully you'll, you'll get the gist of it all. Uh, but Because Jordan does have some very interesting stories to tell. <laughs> Hello 
and welcome to another Nev's Passenger Experience. Well, this week I'm speaking with one of our listeners from the west coast of the United States, Jordan Rose. Jordan wrote to me recently and asked if he could have a chat with me about his passenger experience. Jordan flies for both work and for leisure and has covered many miles travelling across the pond and into the Middle East and Asia. I began by asking Jordan how much of a frequent flyer he is. Uh, probably not as frequent as, say, a business traveler is, but ours is more leisure with a little bit, I'd say one business trip a year that my wife does, it's international, and then usually one to two leisure trips uh, overseas, that's about it. So I would say three international trips a year. Yeah, are they generally good experiences for you? Generally, yes. Uh, we, when we fly internationally, we always fly business or first. What I do is I, I have quite a few miles, so we'll always utilize our frequent flyer miles to upgrade ourselves. Uh, and when we take our kids, we uh, especially fly first so they can go down in a bed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, that's really important, isn't it? But uh, no, that's the way to do it if you've got some miles or some points to upgrade with. Because actually trying to do this, I mean, if you've got a family with you, imagine trying to do that at the full price. That would be very oh. prohibitive, wouldn't it? never would happen. I've always looked up full price before we go and it's usually in the neighborhood of thirty-six to $40,000 for a round trip for the family and I'm going, my God, I could buy a Mercedes-Benz for that price. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so why not go out and buy a Mercedes-Benz and not go flying instead possibly? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, now you've been on some recent trips, haven't you? Tell, tell us a bit about those. Yes, so the most recent trip we took was to Cairo, Egypt and that was for my uh, wife's business and we traveled up there. We were there for uh, five days so it was a very quick trip and we flew from uh, where we live here in Fresno, California. Great airport code by the way, F-A-T, FAT. Lovely. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they've been trying to change it to FYI, Fresno Yosemite International for a long time but it's still FAT. <laughs> so we went from FAT to Los Angeles and Los Angeles to your neck of the woods, London Heathrow and London Heathrow to Cairo, and we flew on United from Fresno to LA, LA to London, and then on Egypt Air from Cairo, or I'm sorry, London to Cairo, which was our first time on Egypt Air, Air and what a interesting flight that was. <laughs> now, first of all, let's talk about your United sector, because United comes in for a lot of stick on this show, doesn't it? So uh, what was your yes. experience? So it, I'll tell you this, on the flight from Fresno to L.A., it's just a, it's a CRJ, so nothing great, you know. But once we landed in L.A., we got on a 787-9, and we were in seat 1A and B in the, uh, the new Polaris class. Uh, I say Polaris class in quotes because it's not the new, new Polaris class, but uh, yeah. the old configuration of 222. Uh, anyhow, the seats were quite uh, nice and comfortable. The amenities were nice, and the food was delicious. But... As we got into the air, and it uh, came time after dinner for me to go down and get my rest, uh, come to find out that seat 1A will not go down into the full bed mode. It will not recline at all, completely broken. Ooh. So, yeah, so we called the purser over. Uh, his name was uh, Steve, really nice guy, by the way. And I will tell you, minus the seat situation, and I'll get to a few other situations in a minute, the staff was phenomenal, which I know we don't hear about that on United very often. Mm. But I will tell you, they were very professional, very polite, and waited on his hand and foot. And I will tell you, it was, it was a great experience from the people standpoint. So the seat wouldn't work. Uh, so they tried many things. Uh, they moved the people behind us out of their seats. They tried to get in there, get a few people to 
mess around with it and tinker with it. And uh, after all was said and done, it just didn't work. So I did not get any sleep on the flight, unfortunately. And business class was completely full. So there was no way to move us to any other seats. Uh, so I thought, all right, we'll, we'll get past that. They came over and I guess they have these little devices now on the airplane, a little like phone that goes online. And they were able to give me $300 instantly in credit. And he said, uh, the purser came to me and he said, listen, they're going to call you in a few days. When they call you, tell them X, Y, and Z. And he told me a few things to say. And he goes, you'll get some extra compensation. Trust me. I'm like, okay. Mm. Um, so anyhow, uh, when it came meal time, uh, my wife is gluten-free. She has an allergy to that. So I had called United uh, twice before we went. Plus, I went online to uh, verify the meal. So I verified online, plus I called twice and verified with two different operators that she would get a gluten-free meal. And sure enough, no gluten-free meal on board. So they scrambled to pull from economy, business, a whole bunch of fruit and things they can find that were gluten-free. And they ended up serving her uh, tidbits of things. Uh, but you know, overall kind of uh, disappointed in the overall experience of not having a lay-flat seat, which we uh, you know, had paid for, and not having uh, the meal which my wife uh, wanted. So. Uh, that that was that flight. Yeah, that's a shame. Now, then you went from Heathrow to Cairo on Egypt Air. Now, the last time I flew Egypt Air, which was a few years ago, there was still smoking going on there. Is that still the case now? <laughs> quite the case, Nev. Uh, you know, we uh, got on the plane, and I'll tell you, the business class seats were quite nice. We were on a 777-300, and a lot of leg room, a lot more than United's, actually. And uh, so we sat there, and I will tell you, I did some research on Egypt Air before going on it, and I had seen many blogs on there that people were saying, if you smell smoke, it's very typical, the staff is smoking, the pilots are smoking. And I didn't think much of it, and uh, a couple of hours into our flight, of course, we start smelling smoke, and my wife looked at me, and I forgot to tell her about the blogs, and she's, she told me, she's like, what, Who, so, somebody's smoking in the bathroom. I said, no, honey, I go, that's the pilots and the staff, don't worry about that. And sure enough, they smoked the whole way there. Uh, for about three hours out of the five-hour flight, there was a smoke smell. Uh, and on top of that, there was an off-duty staff member in business class and an on-duty staff member, a younger man and an older man, who decided to get into a little bit of a scuffle. And there were a couple rows in front of us, and they started yelling. And the older purser came in, grabbed the younger gentleman that was working, and took him into economy class and had a talking to and never saw him again so it was uh it was definitely an interesting oh, flight wow. was, so he wasn't really uh, representing the company very well by the sounds of it uh no but i will tell you you know the stewardess that waited on us uh the flight attendant excuse me was very friendly and uh smiled the entire time and we had we had pretty good service it was just uh the smoke and the little scuffle that i thought was kind of interesting <laughs> yes but uh, apart from that not a bad experience by the sounds of things no, you know, it was, it was quite pleasant. Got a little amenity kit. Uh, they actually got, came through with a gluten-free meal. So Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, nice one. So that got you to Cairo, and uh, where did you go from there? So we stayed in Cairo for about five days, and uh, while my wife worked, uh, I went and saw a lot of the historical sites. I love history, so mm. the pyramids, the Sphinx, and uh, Coptic Cairo, and a bunch of other places. Uh, so it was a quick trip, and then we uh, came back home. Fantastic. And did you, did you come back uh, Egypt uh, through Heathrow again and then United back to um, L.A.? No. Funny story. The day before our flight, I went on to United. I kept checking every day. I wanted to change our flight plan because our original flight plan 
had uh, three stops, and I wanted to eliminate one of those stops if possible. Uh, so we were originally on Lufthansa and then switching to United, and I ended up getting uh, it switched the day before to Swiss Airlines. Oh, nice. So, and it eliminated one stop. So now we went from Cairo uh, on Swiss to Zurich, and then Zurich straight to Los Angeles, Los Angeles directly to Fresno. Uh, but it was actually a pleasant flight. We had a great meal. Uh, business class is typical European style, uh, mm. not the business class. It was basically economy with a meal, a nicer meal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we did that. Uh, we landed in Zurich, had quite a layover. And uh, we boarded on a brand new, actually, it was delivered in January of 2018, a Swissair 777-300. And uh, what a beautiful aircraft, um, had the new airplane smell. And uh, we were in, um, uh, and, and their seating configuration is a little weird. You know, they have the uh, captain seats, as they call them. Yeah. Uh, and then they have two, one, two, one, and so on and so forth. So uh, we got the seats that were next to each other. I believe it was uh, seat A, 8A and B, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so before they shut the doors, I tested the bed to make sure it worked before we took off. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, it did this time. We tested both of them. Uh, but very clean aircraft, uh, beautiful aircraft, and uh, uh, great staff. The only problem was, uh, once again, I called and went online, and no gluten-free meal again. Mm. So what was the Swiss product like from uh, Zurich to LAX? Was that a nice, uh, nice experience? It was, actually. You know, the in-flight entertainment system worked wonderfully. A lot of options. Um, mine did have to be reset once in the very beginning, as soon as we took off. Uh, it it uh, kept popping up with the volume option and menu options. You know, it kept flashing, and I was a little bit worried at first. I thought, oh, great, just my luck. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, they, they reset it, and five minutes later, it worked the entire flight great. But, uh, yeah, they provided some really nice noise-canceling headphones. Uh, the meal options were great, and the staff took care of us. There was only one little scuffle, uh, <laughs> once again, in business class. Uh, she was taking the orders before we took off. And being a frequent flyer, I understand how it works. They take orders in status. So yeah. if you're, I don't know what Swiss status is, but gold, you know, for example, BA, if you're gold or silver or whatnot, the meal orders are taken in, in that order. A gentleman that was sitting a couple rows behind me got pretty furious, came up to the uh, flight attendant or steward, flight attendant, as she was taking our order and said, why haven't you taken my order? What, why are you going out of order? And, and she looked at him and instead of giving him an explanation, she said, I don't need to tell you, and I don't feel like telling you. And I thought, oh, probably should tell you why. It would have been much easier. And uh, he got a little angry and said, I'll never fly, you know, typical, I'll never fly this airline again, which we all know he probably will, yeah. and went and sat back in his seat. But uh, I, I wanted to tell him, like, this is how it works. But I understood it, and I used miles on the flight. So my order was one of the last ones, but I still got my first choice, which was great. So. Yeah, sure. Now, what I was going to ask you, when you went on the 787 to Heathrow, did you feel more hydrated when you got off the plane? You know, I actually did, and that's not the first time I've been on a 787. I've uh, flown first class on British Airways from San Jose, California to London on, on it before. Um, and I'm trying to remember the other airline. I think this is my third time on a 787. And I drink a lot of water typically, uh, but uh, my wife also had mentioned that she felt a lot more hydrated. Her skin didn't feel as dry. Um, you know, I'm not one to really notice if my skin's dry or not, but you know, my wife is. Um, so there, there tends to be a difference. Uh, and, and yes, I did feel a little bit more hydrated. So I, I knew that that was a feature of the 787. 
Uh, so yes, I would definitely say I can I can tell a difference, uh, and so can my wife. So what's your next trip, uh, Jordan? What do you got lined up next? So in July, it uh, well actually we have our ten year anniversary in April, my wife and I. So uh, as a gift to ourselves, we're going to Amsterdam in July, and coming back in August, and we're going to stay in Amsterdam for I think five days. Uh, but we're actually going to start our trip in London. Uh, it's kind of a funny trip. So we're going to go from Fresno to Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to uh, to London. Now, we're taking KLM the entire way there in business class, which I've never flown before. And that will once again be, be on the new 787. So it'll be in their new business class. Uh, and then we are going to fly British Airways from uh, Amsterdam into London in, uh, in uh, Club Europe. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you, uh, previously we've flown quite a bit on British Airways. Um, every year we've actually taken British Airways. Uh, we've done the 77, 380, 747 in uh, first class. Uh, so I've done British Airways quite a few times internationally. Uh, I finally got rid of our British Airways visa cards. Uh, what I liked about them was the once a year companion fare uh, when, you, when you get the spin limit, which we did every year. And that was kind of nice because it worked in any class of service, unlike other airline cards where it's only an economy. So we did like that fact. Uh, however, our last couple experiences on British Airways and first class have been very uh, dismal. And the Concorde room, and I know they're redoing it. I haven't seen it since, or if they're done yet, I don't know. Uh, but we, when we take our kids, we usually get the cabanas. Uh, the last time we were there, we rented a cabana. We had it for two hours. We got into it. We were there for maybe two or three minutes. It was so filthy, dirty. I said, you know, no, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Definitely. And we ended up leaving and going. Uh, I think we spent more time in the business class lounge than we did in the first class lounge. It was very disappointing. It was dirty, kind of just ran down. I, I was very disappointed. But again, I, you probably know more than I. But I've heard that they're redoing the entire lounge. So I think they are, and uh, I think the trouble is now it, uh, all the lounges are so popular, and they've really got to keep their standards very high because again, there's a lot of competition uh, for the, the carriers across the Atlantic and also within Europe. So they've got to make sure that the standards are, are right. So I'm sorry to hear that you didn't have a very nice experience in what is the you know uh, premier um, accommodation there. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it, it's not the end of the world by any means of the imagination, but I would tell you on board the aircraft, too, uh, both times in, in first class, um, you know, there was, there was a few issues here and there, uh, meal issues, um, just the, the standard of service, I would say, was not quite there. And I know that there's some mixed fleet, uh, and then there's, a, I don't know what they call it, dedicated fleet or whatnot, uh, but I think we may have had some mixed fleets the last couple times, but it just seemed the standard of service, even the uniforms, I'll tell you that we had a, a male... Uh, steward that was serving us, his shirt was completely untucked, uh, was hanging out, his pants were nearly falling off. I mean, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I, I think when you're an airline, they have a standard or service of even a, a, a dress code. And I, I felt, wow, this is just not always a service sloppy, but they're not even dressed appropriately, you know? Yeah, that's pretty in inexcusable, really, because th there is a minimum standard, isn't there? And, th and they, you know, claim to set the standard for a lot of other people as well. And uh, that that's just, you know, bang out of order, really. Well, the way I look at it is I spent a lot of money to get the miles, too. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. But, uh, well, Jordan, that's been absolutely fantastic to speak to you. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, yours as well, Nev. Thank you. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network.
Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Flyby 5823 Trent Dane for 23R Manchester with Air 6X Client Flight Level 210 Direct to Britain's Park United, one, two, three, maintain two, eight, zero knots. London, two, TME, turn right onto Bravo, link, two, one, join, alpha, hold at Mora, speedbird, four, seven, two, LOC, slash, TME, approach runway, two, seven, left. Follow the green stand, five, four, four. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well, now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing-licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed-base Boeing 737-800 Flight Simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So, for the ultimate flight simulator experience, or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. Well, I have to say, uh, Nev, brilliant work. Good, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, very interesting to listen to Jordan's uh, travel experiences. Uh, not all of them particularly good, especially on the BA business. It, it, it's uh, an alarmingly yeah. regular thing, isn't it? This whole <laughs> BA bashing. It's, it's becoming a well, national it's sport. Here, here, here <laughs> that um, uh, Egypt uh, still allows smoking in certain parts of their plane. Well, yes, uh, that's almost yeah. astounding in this day and age, isn't <laughs> yes. it? Yeah. No, that, that was really, really well done, Nev. Mm. And uh, yeah. You. Audio was very good. I, I thought the audio was fantastic. Ah, oh, yes, but you've been around with this a little bit. I can say you, you're not not the uh, the connoisseur that uh, Senev is. I'm afraid when it comes to that sort of uh, thing. I think it's worth mentioning also, guys, uh, if you are listening to this uh, and you'd like to feature on Nev's passenger experience, how do they get in touch, sir? Yeah, best thing to do is send me an email to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And we can do the interview over Skype, Google Hangouts, whatever you like. Or if you're in the UK and you're not too far away, uh, I'll come to you and uh, we can do the interview face-to-face, if you like. Always Excellent. the way forward, yeah. 
So the next part of the show that we're going to move on to then is our interview with Andy Coulson. So Andy Coulson is the head of Ayrshire Operations at Farnborough. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a good chat with Andy right now. Okay, so our guest on the show this week then is uh, someone who has quite a large part to play in putting together the marvellous Farnborough Air Show, an air show that we will all be at this year, uh, me, Matt and Nev and a whole host of other aviation podcast hosts are hoping to be there this year. Uh, but uh, Andy Colson, welcome on to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So Andy, uh, what, uh, what's a part that you play in the uh, Farnborough Air Show? Um, I'm, uh, as I say, head of uh, airshow operations, so uh, my job there is to basically build all the facilities and the infrastructure in order to host that show, provide all the facilities for the exhibitors and um, all the other stuff that we do um, on the show site, both for the trade show and the public show. So obviously, Andy, I mean... Most of us have been, oh, most of the uh, listeners and uh, obviously us guys, we've been to the air shows and that and Farnborough as well. Uh, and we've seen what Farnborough's like on the air show week and on the air show days. How different is the site before all this takes place? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, an interesting question because effectively in between shows, it's uh, there is nothing else there. Although things have changed recently because you're probably aware We've just built a, uh, a brand new Hall 1, um, £30 million investment that we've just uh, um, invested in uh, so building a brand new facility to replace what was the old uh, Hall 1 and the media centre and the various restaurants and things. So that's brand new. And there will be other shows that we're now hosting in between uh, the Farnborough events. So in time, that will, will change. But... Uh, you know, generally, before now, it's been uh, just uh, flat areas of tarmac and concrete, and um, that just started to be built up from about March onwards to then result in the show that you see when you come in through the doors. So as we're now coming up to what we know, we're just coming up the beginning of April. Um, is there everything in place now for the show? Uh, the process, the... Um, the frameworks are up on um, uh, B-Row and C-Row and D-Row. Um, Hall 3 is uh, being erected as we uh, speak at the moment. Um, Hall 1 is now permanent, as I've just said. Um, so it's uh, you've got electricians there starting to put in electrical services and that sort of thing. But uh, so very much in a build phase at the moment. Excellent. So, with the with the show going on, obviously over the course of the week, um, I'm guessing with all the stuff that you have to put in place, all the infrastructure and the buildings, do you do you have a team, your own team, who does this, or do you have a lot of kind of people that come in, contractors and stuff, who have specific roles to play? And yeah, we we've got about uh, ten, twelve people in our operations team. Um, some of them are specific to the new venue and uh, everybody will be involved when it comes to the, uh, the air show. And um, we use a whole host of different contractors. There's something like 100 different contracts out for all the sorts of things you can imagine. Everything from AA signs to building the structures to CCTV, you name it, we've got contractors in place for that. So as time moves on and we 
gradually those people come in and more and more gets done and it was all integrated and coordinated into the the uh, the site that you see at the end of the day and also with the static aircraft that obviously have are there during the week and during the course of the display is there a lot of um, changes or, or specific things that have to be put in place for those aircraft to be or where the aircraft go um yeah so, uh, I'm, I'm just it's, it's quite an interesting thing we uh, obviously the airfield is a live airfield um 365 days a year but for the show period for the validation week and the show week we move the uh, barrier line out um uh, nearer to the main runway create additional space which allows us to put in much more facilities and uh, opens up the areas where we put a lot of the static aircraft one of the problems we have however is that we don't often very know you know it's quite late in the day before you exactly know which aircraft want to come there's always lots of people say i want to bring this or i want to bring that <laughs> aircraft but uh it's quite late in the day often before you get a final uh, decision and sometimes they just turn up on the day so this wow. can make life quite interesting that must be really difficult to sort of organize actually really uh, when it comes to that sort of thing you were you were talking about budgets and things uh, earlier andy uh, i mean one uh, an event like this must be such an expensive thing to actually to to put on i mean am i uh, am i dare, dare i ask um, the fees involved when it comes to to putting on the show <laughs> yeah well we we spend in excess of 30 million pounds for our budget putting together the uh, wow. temporary structures and various infrastructure on the site and um, obviously we recoup that through exhibitors uh, purchasing stand space or chalets or um, uh, ticket tickets basically um, there's not a huge charge for aircraft because obviously you want aircraft in so that's not a that's not a high earner, so to speak. It's uh, it's tickets, both trade days and public, and as I say, what exhibitors spend on um, the facilities they want to go in to demonstrate their, their products. So we've got a question uh, for you from the chat room, uh, Andy. This is from Micah, okay. uh, who's over in Maine, in Portland, Maine, over in the Hi, USA. Micah. And uh, he said that I was asking how how does it feel uh, building practically a whole city, knowing it will be used for just a week and then torn down? <laughs> yeah, good question. Some, something that has uh, disturbed me greatly over the years. I I mean, when you build it all up, and uh, you know, one of the last things I always do on the night before the show, you walk around and you see it all finished, and it is a fantastic feeling of pride in you you, you know you, everything is done and um show week goes so quickly and then literally by 10 o'clock on the monday morning after the show half of it is destroyed and that is uh, quite depressing <laughs> yeah very depressing <laughs> And, Why uh, did I bother? <laughs> uh, Tony, uh, Tony S is asking as well in the chat room. Uh, Tony says, uh, um, "How as uh, Farnborough and Ria are so close together, do you have any uh, cooperation with them uh, to bring participants or facilities to uh, to the show?" We we do have some cooperation with them, but I mean they have their own show to run, and so do we. I mean, actually, this year they're very close together. They're on. Yeah. on the weekend immediately before us which which is potentially causing us a few problems because various exhibitors will have things that react that they then want to bring up to Farnborough so 
we will have a situation on Sunday night where people are either bringing aircraft in or other exhibits that we will then have to try and accommodate virtually overnight on the Sunday night. So that is uh, quite challenging. You'd like them to be a week apart, really, but it uh, doesn't always work like that. So Tony's also asked as well, a good question, Tony uh, S in the chat room, uh, especially with what's going on at the moment. He says, uh, uh, question, any plans at uh, Farnborough to commemorate the Royal Air Force Centennial uh, this year? Yes, there will be. I, c I can't give you the details at the moment because I don't know them, but it is being talked about and there is lots of conversations going on with the RAF. Um, so yes, there will be, there will be stuff happening, yes. Excellent. I can't tell you what. <laughs> so, uh, Mariana, who's uh, also in the chat room, Mariana's asking, uh, how do you coordinate um, with, uh, from your side of things, with Farnborough's uh, air traffic control? Because obviously it's a very hectic time for them, uh, and they are given uh, bonus compensation. Uh, oh, are they given any bonus compensation by uh, Farnborough? Well, yeah, we um, tag are the owners of the airfield, and we have a, uh, a lease through TAG, uh, they bring in uh, NATS controllers, which are independent of TAG, and through the offices of TAG, we bring in um, some NATS controllers specifically for the air show, and we pay them or pay through TAG accordingly for those uh, services. So there's in the control tower, there's actually some additional positions which were built into the control tower when TAG took over the airfield, specifically there for the air show, which we uh, bought and paid for at the time. So on the actual air show week itself, um, obviously you've, you've set all the things up in place, all the infrastructure set in place. Uh, do, you, do you sort of kind of sit back and, and relax and enjoy the show, or do you still have to take quite a, you know, a, a, an involved part in the whole Oh, I, I wish. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, in many ways, you could say, well, once you get to the Monday morning, your job is done. But it, it isn't like that because um, it, it does get easier as the week goes on, as things settle down. But, I mean, initially, people coming in on the Monday morning and uh, the slightest little thing that's not quite right, and it, it could be that someone's got a problem with their phone line or... Uh, you know, lots of minor things, you just get completely flooded out with everybody trying to make sure everything is working perfectly and uh, so it can be the beginning of the show certainly can be a really busy time for, for the ops team. Um, I mean, also, I mean, things things must be changing on a regular basis as well. When you when you're not so sure about uh, the the timings involved and and all that, you're saying you're getting last minute changes where people are wanting to to, to sort of come in late and that. I mean, it, there must be alterations occurring all the time. I mean, you must be constantly planning essentially for 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 the smooth running absolutely, of the show. Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, I mean, it's uh, I think it's a common problem with lots of shows is. Uh, that over the years people seem to want to leave it later and later before they turn up and uh, do their thing with the stands and it's the same with aircraft and uh, participation generally because effectively time is money so yeah. they don't want to be spending time uh, and money in hotel rooms and the like so it tends to be these days people leave it as late as possible to do what they need to do which as you can imagine, inevitably leads to uh, um, coordination issues, should we say. Yeah, I can imagine. So, Nev? 
Yes, just a couple of other um, ch chat room questions, uh, Andy, if you don't mind. Um, Matthew yeah. Bunting frames one of our listeners from Australia, and a couple of questions from him. He says, when do you start prep uh, prepping for the show itself, and how did you get the position in the first place? You know, you personally, <laughs> how, how did you end up uh, coming to do okay. it? Okay, yeah, good question. Um, uh, effectively, once one show has finished, we have about three months where we... Uh, debrief and um, sort all the invoices, all that sort of administration stuff gets sorted out in approximately three months after the, the show. Um, and then we're into planning for the next one. Um, so you could say by um, sort of November of the show year, um, you're then starting to plan for, for the next one. We then start the build process would be in the March, beginning of the March of the show year. So in that intervening period, there's all the contracts are formulated and tenders, contracts, all that sort of stuff is done. And lots of planning, obviously lots of planning. Work. Um, in terms of my thing, I was, I originally came from the construction industry and um, I was looking for something else that so this is i've been there since 1992 so in 1992 i was looking for something else to do and i had a a friend of mine who who uh, knew one of the directors um of costain who was a very good friend of the director of exhibitions at at um what was sbac at the time and um, they were looking for uh, a new manager and uh, put the two of us in touch with one another and uh that was that was it, and I've been there for 26 years. Yeah, fantastic. Well, another quick question for you uh, from Tony. Um, obviously, it's a trade show at the end of the day, and is it difficult to find a balance between it being a trade show where lots of uh, deals are, are struck and something that the general public will enjoy? Uh, well, effectively, the, the two shows are very different. Um, we're very reliant on the trade days for what the trade want to discuss display um, they're the ones who decide what aircraft they want to fly and what uh, they want to show the rest of the trade um, and as you say that is a real business event and uh, but the public day is totally different we go out into the marketplace and we bring a lot of acts in that uh, we feel the public would want to see whether it be the warbirds or the battle of britain memorial flight all that sort of stuff is uh, stuff that we bring in specifically for the public so I must admit, one of the most m memorable things from from the show a couple, uh, you know, two years ago, uh, and I, I must admit, it was the first time that I'd been to Farnborough. And one of the things that was so memorable for me was where you got, I think, it was the A380, uh, and watching that thing literally, like, sort of stalling. It was, it was, it was, it was weird. It was sort of dancing in the skies, and then literally followed because uh, you got the A400M that were also that was also in that same uh, uh, in the same routine. And actually, though, both of those planes going back to back, sort of showing off if you like what they're capable of doing I think is one of the most memorable things uh, that will be that will be sort of in my memory forever and uh, uh, Captain Al who's a very good friend of the show who was uh, with the interview that or sorry with the footage that we put out from that show uh, and his descriptions of it I mean it was just such an amazing thing to do it's such a great show I'm I'm so looking forward to coming back uh, this year I really cannot wait I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the A380. That's always been my favourite every time it's been there. I think that is just staggeringly graceful, the way that it uh, 
flies around the side. Oh, something, it is. Something of that size is just it's just breathtaking, I think. It is, it I'd is. I'd much rather watch that than the fast jets, to be honest. <laughs> oh, oh, it's all controversial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's personal, personal opinion. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, do you have a favourite? I mean, is, is it? A, have you got a, a year, obviously going back uh, uh, through time, I mean, you, you've been lucky enough that you've been doing it for a while now. Is there, is there a particular show or event that is really memorable for you? Um, well, I don't think... Um, specifically, I mean, um, last last year on the Monday was memorable for, for the wrong reasons when we had some catastrophic rain. But uh, I don't want to really go into that. But that yeah. was uh, that was memorable for that reason. Um, I, I mean, over the years, it, the show's changed quite a lot. I think the facilities and all the stuff that we've done over the years it's, it's improved immeasurably. To and there'll be another step change this year with the new hall that's built. Um, uh, aircraft over the years, I mean, I, I've been lucky enough to see um, so many over the years. I mean, the Concorde was obviously a memorable one, the uh, B-1 Bomber and um, the Vulcan, of course. Ah, the that, Vulcan. The Vulcan ah. was just <laughs> superb, I think. Mm. Um the, uh, the the Harrier always put a fantastic display on, um, and I'm hoping we've got one coming back this year. Oh, wow! And and um, the Eurofighter is always a good display, mm. um, and and of course you you know people love the uh, Battle of Britain Memorial Flight and yeah. the, the Red Arrows, which sadly are not allowed to display any longer, which is a great. Mm. A great shame, but I, 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 mean, I said earlier. I mean, the A380. I just think is the most. That to me was the best thing that I've seen in many ways. Just the size, sheer size of the aircraft and the way it handles itself is just unbelievable. I mean, they I were they were literally. Sorry, so, sorry, go on, Matt. Yeah, I can say they were the literally they were literally throwing the th the thing through the air like it was just. I don't know. It, it almost looked radio controlled. It was so graceful and things. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Only up there by computer, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, there is that. Yes, jo joystick. Let's not open that can of worms. <laughs> you were going to say, <laughs> Nev. Sorry about that. Uh, yes, I was just going to ask you about the weather, Andy. And of course, last year it was a torrential rain, wasn't it, on a few days? And yeah. it's a shame because having the show in July, you'd, I know that the, the weather in the UK is notoriously unreliable, but you yeah. would have hoped you might have got something better than that. But what sort of challenges does that bring when you have such terrible weather like that? Well, I, I mean, the, the rain we had on the Monday last year was absolutely unprecedented. Um, I don't know whether you've ever looked it up. I think we had something like 226 millimetres of rain in 20 minutes. Oh, my goodness. It was, it was an absolute <laughs> freak storm. Wow. Um, in, in fact, three or four miles down the road, at, down at Farnham, they didn't get any rain at all. Mm. And mm. Um, I, I, I'm not sure you can ever plan for that. Uh, it was very localised, wasn't it? Because we were staying at a hotel yes. at the Hogs Back, at, at just outside yes. uh, Farnham, that, that way. And as you say, the, it, it was absolutely chucking it down over the airfield, but uh, just a few miles over, there, there was nothing. Yeah, else. unbelievable, yes. But, um, I mean, the biggest issue with that is the ground, uh, really, is because we do rely on a lot of grassed areas for parking and, and all sorts of other uh, facilities. Um and it, it really wiped out our main car park on site, which we then had to look for alternative hard standing to park those vehicles. And, of course, people pay quite a lot of money for 
the privilege to park right next to the halls there. So that was probably the biggest challenge we had. Um, this year, we've uh, actually made the investment to uh, that main car park is going to be covered with trackway so that it will, whatever the weather, it will remain usable Still throughout that, uh, yeah. that week. So, uh, Micah in the chat room again, uh, and he's uh, on that subject of uh, you know investment. He's just said, or oh, he's asking in the chat room, uh, how is Farnborough the uh, show? How is it financed, and where do the funds come from to set up uh, and you know the show and you know dismantle the show? Well, it's all financed by the company itself. Um, the the money for the new hall is uh, money that uh, we've financed through various places at local authority and one of the uh, the bank and others are putting money in and we're paying that back out of the proceeds for the income it derives but the show itself is fight financed internally from our own uh, funds so um, in the way it works effectively exhibitors book space and they pay deposits and so you've got a lot of the money up front before you make a lot of the spend um, and a, a lot of the majority of the spend for the show happens in the the last six weeks or so before the show. So oh. by then you've got most of your income in. So that's how it's effectively financed. And we've also got a question from here we go the uh, Matthew Bunting frame. I think uh, this how many people are active in the operation of the air show, uh, paid versus volunteers. Um, we. Up until last year, all of uh, the people we had there employed were all either contractors or our own staff, and we brought a number of temporary people in. Um, and you're probably talking about 50 or 60 people that were Farnborough staff, whether temporary or permanent. And um, last year, we introduced something called Farnborough Flyers, who, who work on the public days, and they are volunteers on the same lines as the uh, Olympics did with their uh, volunteers. So they're there to show people the way and the facilities, etc. And there was about 30, 35 of those people last time, and that, that will be repeated for this coming show. <laughs> just, just looking through one of the questions as well from Marianne in the chat room. It's a quite an important question, actually, for those of okay. the uh, of the. Well, this, this is more for the uh, for the community, the aviation community who who attend the shows across the globe, including us. And <laughs> it's uh, the important question about are there going to be plenty of ice cream vendors? I think that's oh yeah, absolutely yeah. I hope so. members of the teams. <laughs> yeah, Captain Captain Al will be devastated if there aren't at least twenty ice cream vans readily available. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There will be plenty there, yes. Oh, thank and goodness, yeah. yeah. Probably more. If the weather's hot, then that would be good, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think it matters, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> we, Captain Al makes us have an ice cream, even if he's chucking it down with rain. It makes yeah. no difference whatsoever. <laughs> I, I mean, it, interestingly, in the in the build-up, we have, um, and all the contractors are there in the build-up, we have uh, ice cream vans on the site and... Uh, there's always one calls past the office every day, so uh, <laughs> yeah. to disappear out of the office to grab an ice cream halfway through the afternoon. Oh, yeah. She's very welcome, yeah. So for this year's show, Andy, uh, 2018, is there any, any anything new we can look forward to? Anything different, do you know, that we can look forward to this year? Um, I'll give you a... I mean, the, the, at this stage, there's not a lot um, booked in. We've got... Uh, the sort of aircraft updates at the moment, Qatar Airways, 
of bringing an A350 and a 737 Max. Oh, wow. Antonov bringing uh, uh, an Antonov 132. Is it? Can I just turn my light on? To the yeah, do, absolutely. It's getting a bit dark. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> well, he mentioned the word Qatar and the A350, so that, that, uh, that's, that's going to be definitely. quite good. Yeah, absolutely. It's a um, fantastic. ATR bringing an ATR 72. Um, um, Heliops uh, Sea King coming in. Oh, wow. L3 bringing um l3 q400 AT802L long sword whatever that is not sure about that <laughs> uh, pilatus bringing a pc12 oh. ng pc24 and pc21 uh, nova aerospace bringing an ec125 and Takiva a uav uav aircraft that's that's the sort of book stuff at the moment. God, I can't, I, I can't wait. There's some there's some great items to look out for there actually as well. And of course, one of the things that that you guys do do very well, which I, I think perhaps better over some of them actually, some of your static displays are very memorable as well. I mean, I remember is, is Mike's favourite aircraft? Is it the Catalina that that was there last? Yeah, the uh, a couple of years Catalina. ago. Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, and, and and you do you do quite well with with, with your static displays, I think as well. Well, yeah, especially on the public days, we get some quite interesting stuff in that uh, people really like to see. Yes, there's a, there's a, we've got a, a couple of people, a team of two uh, ladies who look after all our flight ops stuff, and they do a huge amount of work during the, the two-year period, um, searching the market, if you like, to, to get good stuff in like that. It's, yeah. a, it's a constant... Um, uh, battle to uh, hunt down and bring in the best things that yeah. can. It must be so much planning, as I say, like, like we said said a moment ago, so much planning and research and all that kind of thing, just to just to make you know because it is. It, there's no doubt about it. It's one of the best air shows I think in the world. If I if I'm brutally honest, and 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 there must be so much work going to into these things. Is yeah. we don't as a humble punter, sure. as a humble punter, we have no idea, do we really, of the work that has to go into to what looks like a fairly straightforward event, you know. Um, it all looks easy on the day but i suppose that's great yeah but it is a hugely complex thing with uh i mean it's very difficult to describe it yeah the, the um the demands of uh, exhibitors are high and, and that's fine you expect that of course but um they all want their uh, you know their individual needs sorted mm. and um it, it is a it just adds up to a hugely complex uh, uh, puzzle, I think. Well, of course, and again, because you're having to put again with with various vendors and things, they all require power. Some require more power Internet requirements broadband. than others, and yeah, 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 satellite broadband. That's obviously a key for us. Uh, <laughs> all these various things yeah. that you need, but I mean, again, it's it's all that planning, isn't it, and getting that infrastructure in place for something that is essentially a uh, you know not. I mean, it'd almost be easier if it was a bit like a somewhere like the any. I mean, I here in Birmingham obviously you've got the NEC just down the road you've got the NIA you've got the the ICC these are all events that have all this infrastructure that is here all the time and of course you're basically putting in that infrastructure apart from your new hall one that that, that you're obviously quite rightly so proud of uh, but all the things that goes on outside you still have to give these vendors their what they need in order to to sort of sell their wares if you like I mean it must be such yeah, a logistical uh, nightmare that's something I was sort of referring to earlier I mean over the years exhibitors demands have got more and more mm. so um 
and putting all that infrastructure into what is a temporary structure yeah. i think a lot of people walk into some of these structures don't realize it's necessarily temporary yeah. because um you've got everything there that you you need but and yeah. of course you know a lot of the companies their execs who come in um i mean they might be in an office in seattle somewhere at boeing for instance yeah. but they expect to come over here move into their facility and have exactly the same as they would yeah. in their office Absolutely. Back, yeah. back at home indeed um, and if you can't provide it it's, yeah. it's a problem and but well and yes and you you need that you know obviously i mean what, what makes farnborough so successful is the fact that it does attract people like boeing and an airbus and uh, and all that as you say and so it it, it that must be so much pressure on you to to get that right yeah there's no um, no second chances it has to be right as it, it is as simple as that so yeah. you know that's why the build has already started and people are now busy uh, working around and the infrastructure is starting to go in they're mm. putting electrical mains in and um, I've got my PA guys coming in next week and yeah. uh, you know there, there's a team there already pulling cables and uh, fibers and that for the uh, internet stuff and the phones it, it, it is a huge complex mm. uh, you know there's a, a system of underground ducts and um, all that stuff to get all these services to the right place is just huge Nev? Oh sorry, oh, um, sorry yeah. yes lost you there for a <laughs> sorry yeah question uh, there's a question there from Micah is in the, in the chat room there uh, there is, yes. And since you started, Tony, has there been any sort of uh, building or infrastructure issues or maintenance that's happened during the show that's been particularly memorable uh, since you started? What, what's been the, the biggest changes, would you say? Um, well, over the years, we've, um, we, we've done quite a lot in... We've had to put, a, for instance, a lot of ducks into the ground in order to to run all those services which i was just referring to so mm. to run telephones and and uh internet and pa and all that sort of stuff um we've replaced a lot of water mains obviously we built a couple of years ago we built the aero chalets which are now permanent and so uh, there's a lot of permanent infrastructure in for for those chalets which in a way makes the job a bit easier um we've replaced uh, a huge amount of the HV uh, power on the site, which um, a few years ago was getting rather old and uh, needed to be replaced. So quite a mammoth job to do that. It's a big site, as you as you well know. Mm. It um, is a massive job. I don't, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what else Micah wants to know in that regard. Um, Tony S actually asks quite an important question, uh, Andy, in the chat room, because yeah. uh, for those of the listeners and stuff will know that uh, there is a, a quite a large divide between Boeing and Airbus lovers. And uh, Tony, yes. Tony S was just saying in the chat room, uh, do you have to separate the Boeing and Airbus uh, <laughs> sort of uh, camps uh, in case yes. they case they yeah. fight? <laughs> yeah, heavy security. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know about fight, but uh, you couldn't. <laughs> With one of their aircraft next to the other one. Let's no, no, okay. <laughs> frowned upon, I think, is the word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh dear. In, in in regards to that, Andy, obviously you've got you've got the big manufacturers like Boeing and, and Airbus, and I think you normally have Bombardier and stuff there on site. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, obviously you have you have a separate chalet or a separate building for each of those guys. Uh, yes. Is, is 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 it is it quite heavily planned out where they all go in in regards to the site and stuff? Yeah, I mean, you, you start after the show, you're starting with a fresh sheet of paper, effectively. But a lot of them, I, w I would call it grandfather rights. You know, you know, Bowie. as long as Bowie yeah. are coming back, you know where they're going to be. Interestingly, Bombardier, who'd always been at, the, you remember up the top of the hill, um, yeah. on zero first chalets, they've moved this year. They've now moved down to the Aero chalets, but that doesn't happen. Um, too often a lot of the main exhibitors airbus have been in the same place for quite a number of years now with their facility they like to uh, you know and, and as long as people rebook and they you know there's always a conversation there are you coming back do you want to be in the same place and and that's what tends to happen yeah yeah excellent well, we are looking forward as i said we're all looking forward to the show this year and in mm. um you know we've uh, we i think it's safe to say that we've, we've got quite uh, a large meet up planned we have yeah got, absolutely uh, various people various people flying over from uh, from the u.s uh, to come over various hosts of other shows across the u.s who are coming over to uh, to, to be with us at the show so you know it is safe we are looking forward very much to the show this year and um and if obviously we'll we'll be hopefully we'll be uh, in the kind of media center there so it'd be great to, if you could come over and and uh, oh have a chat with us andy yeah i'll come and say hello yeah good man that's um, what we just like a, just before we um finished um i've got a few potential items here from the public days do you want me to just read out yeah sort of definitely things where, yeah yeah um so at the moment we're expecting uh spitfire bristol blenheim oh wow great war, dis great, uh, war display team gyrocopter uh wing walkers flying bulls oh wow um and on static I, I've no idea what this is, but bird dog, whatever that is. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a Cessna bird dog. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, Catalina, Seeking, um, Aero Legends, which is Percival Prentice and De Havilland Devon. Oh wow! And um, so that's just some of the things at the the, the moment. Yeah. Well, well, you've you've and already the, mentioned Mike, of course, as well. The blades will be there. I'm pretty sure. Ah, but you've already mentioned Micah's favourite aircraft, so he'll be very happy to hear that the Catalina will be back. <laughs> so he will be absolutely thrilled. Andy, it's, it's been so <laughs> it has been so kind of you to join us. Thank you very much. But we better let you get back to your busy evening. So thank you so thank very you much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, thanks to everyone in the chat room as well. And uh, good questions and. Uh, Hope you enjoy the show when you come. Well, and hopefully most most of our, our listeners who are in the chat room, hopefully you'll get to meet because they're they're all coming to the show, most of them. So, uh, including okay. Micah, he's flying all the way over from the states for it. So, uh, ah, yeah, right. going to be good. Um, you, I mean, I won't. I, I think when you get there, give me a call and I'll pop over and see you at the media centre. Fantastic. Excellent. Got my number. Yeah. 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 Cool. cool. Well, again, well, uh, Andy, you. thanks for your time and have a great weekend. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at uh, Farnborough twenty eighteen. Excellent. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So we're going to say a massive thanks to everyone who has joined us in the live chat room this evening. Loads and loads of people in there who have taken time out of their Fridays mm -hmm. to uh, sit, listen and watch the show. And not only forgetting as well the people who download the show each week, 
via iTunes and all the other podcast platforms. Yeah. Thank you very much to you. Don't forget, we want to hear from you as listeners. Send us in some audio feedback. We'd love to hear from you and uh, hear what you sound like, apart from seeing you all in the chat room. Yeah. That'd be great. So send your audio feedback files in any format. It doesn't matter what they are, as long as they're not made out of paper. Otherwise, <laughs> Matt will have a bit of an effort trying to sort that out. But send those in to podcast at plain talking UK com and uh, yeah send us in your feedback and uh, we'll play it out on the show if, you, if you're not confident enough and you, you're not confident enough to record and send it in then why not write it to us in an email and we'll read it out on the show as well we don't mind uh, any of your feedback good or bad we, we are making the show for you so any suggestions that you've got uh, about sort of possible content or things that you'd like to like us to do to alter the show uh, that is you know this is your show and uh, as I say your feedback is always welcome to get in touch with the show as we were saying it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com it's facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk that is if you still have a Facebook account after this last couple of weeks uh, and our, our Twitter handle is at plaintalkinguk so that just leaves me then to say again a big thanks to everyone who's in YouTube world right now uh, don't forget to join us again for next week's show which will should hopefully be on Friday guys all being well certainly so, at this yes. end yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. sounds good to me yeah yeah so follow us on social medias you'll find out uh, the start time which will mm -hmm. probably be around about the same time as tonight at 7pm yep. yep. so a big thanks to you Matt for all your uh, button pushing that you've done this it's all right. it's, no it's no problem it's all part of the fun it's always a challenge to do it in a new location with random variables that keep changing mid-show uh, <laughs> and also a massive massive thank you as well to the awesome guy that is neville bounds thanks yeah. Ned. that's very kind of you carlos thanks very much indeed and uh, yeah look forward to seeing everybody uh, same time next week indeed so that's it then for episode 211 of the show have a great weekend and take care everyone and see you all next week goodbye see you next week bye bye guys bye bye, bye. bye.